I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One sound down here. And I'll kill the both of you. Nothing in my life has been right since the summer of 1958. A time when even the guilty displayed a rare innocence. See anything? Not even a goddamn elbow. Hold it. Hold it. We'll wait. He wants to sleep over there again. What, next door? I'm Meg. I'm David. There are two young girls. Living at the Chandlers now. So? I hear you better. Oh, your cousin. Yeah, down by the rock. Cute too, ain't she? What's that? They were in an accident. Both the parents died too. Mom says he must have died instantly. He just dropped by to get this to David. She's something, isn't she? Mrs. Chandler must love having her around. Tent worms. I'll do this one. And you can do the rest, okay? I don't want to. David? Hey, Meg, how's it going? I haven't eaten in almost two days. With hates me. I'll do. I don't care what you do anymore, bitch! Your sister is a goddamn bitch! Nothing I ever do is right. It doesn't sound like the roof I know. Not so fun when it's your precious sister getting slapped around. Teach you to pick on people your own size. You brought a cop here. After my mother! Best policy, mind your own business. I used to have trouble. So you think any more about it? About what? Getting Meg into the game? We got our own game now. You want to think about one thing, girl. Well, two things, actually. First, it could be your little sister hanging here instead of you. And second, I know some of the bad things you've done, and I'm kind of interested to hear them, so maybe this confessing isn't such a kid's game after all. I can hear it from the one of you, or I can hear it from the other. You just think about that. Hi, welcome to Horror vs. Reality. You're just now joining a conversation that's already in progress (laughs) um morgan said that our pre-roll talk was too good to not record so here we are sorry guys Um, yeah yeah so i'm your host anna as per usual morgan is with me as almost always except just that like one time yeah that one time time when keith was the co-host and our guest today is maddie from the one for the road podcast welcome maddie Hello, hello. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. Uh, I was a guest on Maddie's podcast, what, like three or four months ago, something like that? 
yeah, time really flies if you think about it. I think it was like four months. Yeah, it uh, time's got away from us. <laughs> and we also yeah. had like a bunch of stuff already scheduled, so we really couldn't fit you in until now-ish. Yeah, and that's perfect. It worked out for me too. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so we'll get back to what we were talking about before we weren't recording, or before, yeah, before we started recording. So I was telling them about how uh, I first saw this movie, which is I rented them this movie and an American Crime back-to-back at Blockbuster. God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Did you watch them all in one day? Yeah. I literally, like, I rented them. I I rented them and literally watched them back-to-back. Oh, my God. I mean, I was, like, you know, in a bad spot. I watched fucking, uh, oh, what is that movie? Requiem for a Dream, like, over and over. Looking back, I'm like, okay, maybe not a good thing to watch over and over. But, dude, those two movies in the same day? Yeah. Oh, I mean, we already already know that I'm not quite right. I I mean, Requiem for a Dream is my favorite movie. (laughs) If you would have added Carla to that lot, I'd say you're a true sadist. Uh, I'm not, though, because we all know that I, like, really experience other people's emotions. (laughs) Like, if they're really, if someone's really upset, I'm now upset because it's rubbed off on me. So, I mean, that's not true at all. (laughs) Do you you, um, get, like, ghost pains when you see other people in movies get hurt? Because I do. Yeah, I do. No, but I get, there's a German word for it, and I can't remember the word right now, but I get really bad secondhand embarrassment. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, like, if something is really embarrassing has happened to someone on screen, I'm so embarrassed for them. But you don't feel the pain. No, I'm dis- I'm deeply desensitized to that at this point. <laughs> uh, I, ri- I had I to write- watch this I write and watch horror movies for a living, Morgan. Yeah, I know. But, like, do you punctuate (laughs) those two horrific movies by, like, I don't know, uh, cartoon or your I mean, I think I might have smoked a bowl in between. There you go. That's the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'd have to, like, watch, uh, like, cat videos or something. Well, given that it was 2007 um, and not everybody was just glued to YouTube yet, there wasn't, like, a way to, like, I would have had to have, like, gone back and booted up my parents' computer. I couldn't just whip my phone out to watch cat videos. It's not the same. (laughs) Turn on Scrubs, because I think Scrubs was on then. Scrubs was absolutely on then. Uh That's a good call. That's a good call. Yeah, Scrubs always makes me happy. Yeah. I like the sound that he ma- that that he makes in his mind when uh like bad things ha- or like when something funny happens like wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what goes on in my head at work you do work at a hospital so that's fair well i quit yeah. so right now i'm unemployed oh <laughs> well that's true but you already have another job lined up so i'm not super worried about you yeah no i i have a job lined up i just yeah. needed a break yeah, you're taking a mental health month, and that rocks. Yeah. I, I don't blame you. Yeah, if there's it any nurses out there me. listening, like, I feel you. Feel yeah, friends. yeah. Also, this means that we can pump out more content to you guys and devote <laughs> a lot of time to the podcast. Yes. Um. So, I mean, I know you've got, I know you guys have been a little neglected this past couple of months. One month, we didn't put a new episode out at all. We didn't even put out a remastered episode. We literally just put out an episode of my other podcast. Morgan needed uh, all the 
free time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, dude. Mental health is important. Yes. And I took a break too. This is the first real break we've actually taken. So, I, th- I mean, and, and the fact that, by the way, a few days ago was our two year anniversary. Happy wow. anniversary. Wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Happy anniversary, Mo. Two years oh. doing this podcast. So it was birthed in COVID. It was, oh, <laughs> but it had been planned before COVID broke yeah, out. Yeah, before, and then, and then it was like, well, now I'm definitely doing it because what else am I gonna do? Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Well, except for Morgan because she's a nurse and she was definitely working all through the pandemic. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm cringing over here, but I no, spent a I lot like- of. At home, you know. I like how our hiatus, you know, from the last couple months, we open up with one of the, I think, one of the most horrific crimes. Well, like, I wouldn't say world's worst horrific crime, but, like, crime on children. Are we talking about this one? Yes. Like, we opened with the worst. Well, no, we didn't open because we did one two weeks ago when we recorded with the Mondo Boys. Yeah, but I think this one hurts more. Well, this one hurts a lot more because before we were just talking about bumbling Harry Powers, you know. (laughs) I mean, he did murder two kids, but we didn't, like, get super graphic on it because it wasn't the focus. Yeah, this is, this one just, I had to make a stiff drink for this one. Maybe I'm being a baby about it, but I just want everybody to know that it it gets rough. It gets really rough, and just fair warning, okay, so there's, like, really intensely bad sexual abuse that happens to the actual uh, victim, Sylvia, but there's arguably worse sexual violence that happens to her in the movie. Yeah. So just... Just know that the you'll know <laughs> when I get to the really bad thing. Just know that that doesn't happen to her in real life. So if that's any yeah. consolation. Yeah. And like when I watched it in the movie, that's when I got ghost pains. And when I get ghost pains and I see them getting hurt in certain areas, I get the same ghost pains in those certain areas. So. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I clenched everything. Like, I was giggling throughout the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like I said, I, uh, you know, I I feel like I'm less affected because I remembered vividly those scenes and I just fast-forwarded through them. So, I'm not, like, I'm angry. I'm freshly angry from watching it because you just want to punch (laughs) Ruth in the face the whole time. Yeah, Yeah. the whole time. Yeah, yeah. You just want to... Wanna you want to tie her, her. You want to tie her up in the basement and show her a thing or two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, we're we're gonna get into it. So, like I said, today's episode is the girl next door from 2007. It is rough, so you know all the uh, content warning or whatever. I mean, we've given you plenty of warning, so if yeah, yeah. Also, <laughs> just Google Sylvia Likens, and if that sounds too rough for you, then I bet you know skip this episode. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to get into some of the actors. I know Morgan uh, knows that I'm really excited about one of the actors, and she is too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's, a, he's a babe. <laughs> he is a babe. Yeah. How old um, was he during this movie? Um, Young-ish? Not like yeah, super he's young. Like 43. No. Yeah, I want to say he was in like his maybe mid-20s at the time. I didn't... <laughs> 
Morgan, you're doing what the Mondo boys did, and you're asking me about their birth dates. <laughs> Sorry, because I was like, dang, he's cute. And then I was like, wait, he's probably like 12 in this movie. And then I like looked at his age, and I was like, no, I think it's okay to say no. he's cute. I mean, yeah, no, he's older than us, and this is in 2007 when we were high school seniors. So yeah, okay. I'm pretty sure so I'm good. it was absolutely fine to lust after him. <laughs> I am in the clear then. And in it's terrible because he's bad. <laughs> Well, yes, but we love him because of the marvelous, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Yeah, who is it? Okay, we'll just talk about him first. I normally <laughs> talk about the director first, but we're so excited. So we're talking about <laughs> Michael Zegan, who honestly doesn't have a very big role in this movie. He's only, like, just one of the neighborhood kids. He's one of the older ones. But he plays Eddie, and we just really love him as an actor, particularly his role as Joel Maisel on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. He plays basically the best ex-husband a person could ask for especially in the late 50s <laughs> like he's so supportive of her dirty comedy act it's yes. great it's uh, great I, I like his character a lot. he's great he's he's really he's really great <laughs> like he's he's everything you could hope for for an ex that's still your friend and is the father of your children <laughs> yeah yeah he also played damien keith in the uh firefighter show rescue me that started like right after 9-11 what it was based on just like New York after 9-11 in the aftermath do you remember that show Morgan yeah I never watched it though I watched like the first season it was pretty good but like I'm just not big in those uh on those like serialized cop medical dramas really I'm not either I love the wire but just scrubs and the wire yeah all day (laughs) (laughs) well and when they're a comedy I feel like it's a whole different thing too yeah and scrubs is more accurate than that's true Oh, oh my god. I don't even watch that show. What is it called? Grey's Anatomy. Yes, Grey's Anatomy. I can't. Oh, we'll oh, get into that because that some of our actors... Do what? I used to love that show. Oh, God. We're, I, I can't. we're not about it. <laughs> I was just like, there's no way three doctors are going to ambulate that patient. I was like, I have to cut this shit off. <laughs> well, I mean, there's... All- I remember, I think it was... The, my parents watched, like, the first season or so. And I remember in the, the first... Fake IVs and, like, oh, it's so yeah, no. bad. I remember in the first season, there being this whole sequence where she's, like, flatlining and, like, talking to ghosts or some bullshit. Yeah, I'm like shocking someone. I'm like, you, that's not even the right rhythm. Yeah, it's <laughs> you, it's you should shock them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just a soap opera set in a hospital. That's yeah, all it I is. Can't, I can't handle it. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, um, he also played Andy Sussman in the criminally underrated and canceled too soon HBO show, How to Make It in America, as well as playing Ben Siegel on Boardwalk Empire. Oh, I oh, forgot yeah. he was in that. Right? Yeah, didn't even realize he was in that. Now that you say it, I remember him. Yeah. He also had reoccurring roles on HBO's Girls and The Walking Dead. He was in about oh. four episodes of both of those. I do not remember him in The Walking Dead. He was, I mean, he was he was a minor character. He only was in four episodes, and then he was promptly killed off. Oh, poor baby. No, he wasn't. He couldn't. He couldn't cut it out in the zombie apocalypse. They were like, "Yeah, you gotta go, kid." <laughs> So The Girl Next Door was only his second film role ever. But some of his other film roles include Eric in Adventureland opposite Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart and Benji in the mumblecore classic Francis Ha with Mm -hmm. Greta Gerwig and a pre-Star Wars Adam Driver. Nice. Yeah. I love Francis Ha. I 
I just rewatched it the other day, actually. And I honestly didn't think I was going to get a chance to talk about Mumblecore again. So there you go. <laughs> Mumblecore. Yeah, I actually had an argument with someone the other day about uh, Mumblecore and Mumblegore <laughs> on Facebook. <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the best arguments happen on Reddit, but the dumb ones happen on Facebook. There you go. But yeah, I'm in a Joe Bob slash drive-in Facebook group. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you know. I'm I'm not up to date on this Mumblecore. I don't think I could have an argument with anybody because that would be like, nah, I don't well, know. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I got really into the Mumblecore movies when I was in college. I would I would rent like five of them at a time from Blockbuster and just like veg out i don't know what it was about it but i think Did you if... say juno would be mumblecore no no because juno had a heavily written script and mumblecore ah. is mainly focused around a lot of improvising oh mm-hmm. so low budget improvisation for the most part uh like uh van zant Gus Van Zandt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gus Van Zandt movie. Like Elephant. I, uh, <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> I, I, look, I own Elephant, so I can't talk. <laughs> I had some kid tell me about Elephant. He said, this movie reminds me of you. And I said, well, what's it about? He said, I can't tell you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> he goes, you just have to watch it. And he I mean, gave me a copy of it. And I watch crazy. it. And I was like, wait, does he think that I'm going to do a school massacre like me <laughs> does he think that you're dylan Klebold? yeah like both of them combined <laughs> i like didn't know how to like approach it afterwards yeah we never talked ever again i was just like okay maybe he thinks i'm a school shooter well like, fucking weirdo <laughs> After seeing that movie, our mutual friend Anna and I got old, like, silverware that may have been, like, her grandmother's or something and made those fork bracelets. Oh, my God. You know what I'm talking about? How one of the characters has a... Yeah, we made those. (laughs) Oh, my God. I used to work in high school. (laughs) I remember the utensil jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> we made it out of her grandma's silverware, I'm pretty sure. Oh my god, that's like <laughs> I mean, straight silver it... from the 1800s. <laughs> yeah, I kind of think so, because it did start to varnish after a while. Oh man. Silver's <laughs> up. Silver's up. <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure where it is now, to be honest. It's probably at my parents' house somewhere. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, so Gus Van Zandt is Mumblecore. <clears throat> is what? Mumblecore. Um, not exactly, because he he also did stuff like I would say that that kind of falls under the category, but they're usually not so arty in the same way. If that makes oh, sense. Okay. See. Okay. Let's. I'll have to do some research on this because I have no idea. Well, because he stuff. also. Well, I mean, and he, Gus Van Sant also did Goodwill Hunting, which definitely had a script. Ben yeah. Affleck and Matt Damon wrote it famously. <laughs> yeah, and then Drugstore Cowboy that has. Yeah. So I mean, like he has definitely veered in to that category but there's so much more of like a clicky uh improvised vibe than i don't uh, know yeah. so back to what we were talking we we're talking about francis ha being mumblecore not the movie correct yeah we were that okay <laughs> not meaning to be sidetracked immediately yeah i know i mean we were gonna get back to it so uh, let's start talking about the director though um because i think
think I finished talking about Joel. Um, <laughs> Joel. I mean, I'm just going to call him Best ex-husband ever. <laughs> he is the best ex-husband ever, you know? <laughs> He's a fictional character, but he is the best. <laughs> okay, so the director is Gregory Wilson. He graduated from the Tisch School of the Arts. Uh, while he was attending NYU, he received the MCA Fellowship, interning under the late MCA chairman, Lou Wasserman. Uh, this internship also allowed him to intern on the production of Ron Howard's Apollo 13. Wow. Yeah. His career has been like pretty sparse since then, having directed a total of three films to date. Um, that includes 2001's Home Invaders, this film, and 2012's TV movie, Ghoul, for the now-defunct Chiller Network. Do you remember Chiller, Morgan? Yeah, that was... Was that on, like, DirecTV or something? Yeah, it was one of the DirecTV channels, I think. Okay. Yeah, I remember Chiller, because my mom would always have it on. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Morgan's mama liked the horror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She got me into it at a very early age. <laughs> yeah. I know. Just... <laughs> and my father's like the one who reading, got me into it. Yeah, reading Stephen King books on the way to vacation, like at the beach. <laughs> Raise them right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, Blythe Offarth. Her last name's weird. It's like A-U-F-F-A-R-T-H. Offarth. Anyway, so Blythe Offarth uh, plays Meg Laughlin, who is our Sylvia Likens character. Blythe is an American actress known for her role in this film. In addition to this, she's also had TV roles in such shows as Law and Order, Law and Order Criminal Intent, NCIS, Veronica Mars, Sex in the City, and The Hard Times of R.J. Berger, among others. Do you remember that show, Morgan? No. It ran for like two seasons on MTV, and it was just like a stupid teen comedy about this I... awkward boy. Oh, I don't remember that. Well, it existed. <laughs> What's it called again? The Hard Times of R.J. Berger. No. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it was... I don't <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those shows that happened like after, years after the decline of MTV. So if you caught it, you were probably a teenager at the time. I was in college, but I looked it up. So do not remember this. I rem I remember seeing TV stuff for it, trailers and ads, but I never watched it. Okay, so let's see. William Atherton, this guy. So this is the, the guy who plays adult David or Davy, I guess is what she calls him a lot, but his name's David Moran. So William Atherton is perhaps best known for his role as Richard Thornburg in Die Hard One and Two, and his role as Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. But he's had a really long, varied career, and he's been in a bunch of shit. But here's the weird thing about him. In my research, I discovered that he used to consider himself a gay man, but through aesthetic realism, which is some new age bullshit self-help program that just steals your money, it, like, deprogrammed him, and he is what? now married to a woman since 1980. Oh, what? Yeah, he declared, he talked about this on the Phil Donahoe show. So back he, in like, like, went through gay conversion camp? Kind of. It's not, wow. it's not, it does other things. It's kind of like Est or like some of the shit that Nexium was doing. It's just a culty, new agey, take your money thing, you know? 
but some of it that they had to distance themselves from later on focused on ironing the gay out. Oh my God. Love yeah. How, right. How fucked up is that? That's all we need right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh I mean, this God. happened to the eighties. So yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like the golden age of uh, praying the gay away. Yeah. As you know, I clutch my Chick-fil-A nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, throw them away. Throw them away. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're so good. Uh, I haven't been to one of those in so long. I'm literally eating Chick Fil A. I'm so sorry. Morgan, <laughs> like, <did> not lie. <laughs> Morgan, I'm a little offended. I'm a little offended. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, Morgan, I did boycott them for. Like, she did. I did for years, Morgan. and then I was Morgan. like, Oh God, read the room. Read the room. <laughs> Uh, oh, Morgan. Anyway, so Blanche, <laughs> Blanche Baker is Ruth Chandler. Uh, Baker is American actress known for her Emmy-winning role as Best Supporting Actress in the miniseries Holocaust. So I, I didn't look into it, but I assume it's about the Holocaust. <laughs> um, sorry. I think you're safe it. to say that. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Anything else is like the Holocaust. Everybody, like, you'll be like, what? This isn't about the Holocaust? No, you can't claim that. You can't claim that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Until we have another one, you know. Ugh. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So her role as Jenny Baker, she's also known for her role as Jenny Baker in 16 Candles. And for her role playing the title character in Lolita on Broadway. Ha ha! We're back to Lolita again. You didn't think I could get back to it, did you? Seriously. <laughs> but look, all I've got to say is... <laughs> it's been several, several episodes now. But look, all i got to say is Vladimir Nabokov is an incredible writer. And you should go read some of his stuff. But you're right. We literally talked about Lolita last episode. Because uh, what's-her-name played Lolita's mother? Shelly Winters. Shelly Winters. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of her face. Yeah, <laughs> I was just, cross. I was imagining her in the car underwater. <laughs> I was scene, imagining her on the bed. The scene uh, that I missed. Yeah, the the infamous scene that you missed. I don't know how you missed that, Morgan. <laughs> I know, I'm wondering if, like, my TV skipped or something. Uh, maybe. Oh, I remember. You said you were watching it on the one with the commercials. Oh, that's right. So you, like, got up to yeah. use the bathroom or something. Missed it. Yeah, because it was on Pluto. I need to go back. I need to just look it up on Google. <laughs> you Shelley do. Winters in car. Yeah, I'm just going to watch <laughs> that scene. It's amazing. So, Graham Patrick Martin plays Willie Chandler, the eldest son. Martin is yet another American actor in this film. And he is known for his reoccurring role as Eldridge on Two and a Half Men. He also had a reoccurring role in The Closer and its spinoff Major Crimes as former teen hustler Rusty Beck. More recently, he starred as Orr in the 2019 Hulu adaptation of Catch-22. So, Madeline... I don't think I've seen that movie. I've read the book. It's not a movie. It is a miniseries. Oh. And it's really good. I recommend it. Yeah. So Madeline Taylor plays Susan Laughlin, Meg's little sister who has polio. Taylor graduated from Duke University in 2017 with a BA in theater studies. She also minored in Russian and English, which is kind of badass. 
And she studied in Moscow? Back in 2008? She was... That's all I know. What? Oh, the world. <laughs> You're speaking Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Back in 2008, she starred as young Nabby Adams in the HBO miniseries John Adams, uh, which is probably her most seen television role, aside from one episode of Law & Order, which we all know reruns endlessly on the American cable networks, TNT and USA. I'm done. <laughs> uh, next year, she will star in The Rogues, Dawn of the Black Sun, which we don't have a ton of information about, but the synopsis makes me think it's very Indiana Jones ripoff-ish. All right, so Austin, young Austin Williams, who plays the youngest son, Ralphie Chandler, Williams has been acting since he was eight years old. Uh, when he made his film debut, he played a younger version of Matt Damon's character in Robert De Niro's The Good Shepherd. Fuck that kid. So some of his other roles include George Clooney's character's son in 2007's Michael Clayton. And he played Shane Marasco for 300 episodes on the long-running soap opera One Life to Live. To date, he is the youngest actor ever to be offered a soap opera contract at the tender age of 10. Oh, wow. Yeah. That was an interesting way to grow up. Isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I already talked about Michael Zegan, so we'll skip over him and go to Grant Show, who plays Mr. Moran. Grant is a bit of a 90s nighttime soap opera legend for his role that, uh, as Jake Hansen on Melrose Place. Did you ever watch Melrose Place, Morgan? I did, but vaguely remember it. I, okay, so this is such a guilty pleasure thing because it's a trash show. You know what I mean? It's like high camp, nighttime soap opera situation. Yeah. But I, okay, so there you, uh, do you remember the Style Network? Uh, vaguely, yes. Okay, so there's a cable. I never I watched know, it. I don't know if it still exists, but there's a cable channel called the Style Network. And during the summer when I was like, mm, I want to be, I want to say like 15 or 16, they aired all the reruns of Melrose Place in order. And that summer, I watched all <laughs> of Melrose Place. <laughs> 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 so I'm well versed on Jake Hansen from Melrose Place. <laughs> but since 2007, I mean, no, not 2007, since 2017, he's been playing tycoon Blake Carrington on the Dynasty reboot, which is another nighttime soap opera. Uh, uh, he ha- oh, yeah. He has a lot of other TV roles, though. On, he's been on all kinds of different shows. Some fared better than others, including Burn Notice, Devious Maids, Big Love, Accidentally on Purpose, which was a cute little one-off sitcom that just had one season and it was a complete story and it starred Jenna Elfman. From Darman, Greg, do you remember that show? Either of you? No. Morgan, are you there? I'm saying no. Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay. That was me that said no. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, it was a dumb show. Not accidentally on purpose, but Darman and Greg was a dumb show. But that's where you could know Jenna Elfman from. Fun fact, she's married to Danny Elfman's nephew. Oh, I like Daniel. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I really enjoy busting out Oingo Boingo. Oingo Boingo. They actually, like, reference Oingo Boingo a strange amount of times in American Dad, and I love that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, I love it. I love it. (laughs) All right. So let's get into... No, I have one more person I want to talk about. I do want to talk about the actress who plays Miss Is Moran. That would be Catherine Mary Stewart. Stewart enjoyed a career spanning 30 plus years. She played Gwen Saunders 
in the 80s classic Weekend at Bernie's, Regina Belmont in the cult horror classic Night of the Comet. <laughs> Her most bizarre role, though, 1980s rock musical The Apple. If you've never heard of this, Google it. It is seriously some of the most bizarre shit I've ever seen. <laughs> The Apple? The Apple. It's a musical. Yeah. It's a musical from like 1980. And it's really, it's really weird. <laughs> Why do I feel like I've seen this, but on mute? It feels like the kind of thing that you might see on mute at w- that bar that you like. Maybe they did play this. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, because I'm going through this and I, I recognize some of the scenes. I just don't know what it's about. <laughs> it looks like they ate the apple like Adam and Eve. Yeah, it might be, I, that sounds kind of familiar. But anyway, that's not important. <laughs> All right, prepare yourselves, everyone. We're going to talk about the plot of the movie. Oh, yeah, like trigger warning for <laughs> sadistic child abuse. Oh, uh, yeah. And incest. Here we go. Well, no. it's Well, yes, incest in the movie, not in real life. Yeah. Okay, so in 2007, a man named David Moran witnesses a man get hit and run by a car in New York City. He responds to the situation and tries to resuscitate the victim. Um, that evening, he's like sitting at home reflecting on his past back to the summer of 1958 when he meets his first teenage crush, Meg Laughlin. Meg and her disabled sister Susan have lost their parents in a car accident and are now living with their aunt, Ruth Chandler, and her sons, Willie, Ralphie, and Donnie. Those are the worst names. <laughs> They all sound sadistic. Yeah. Well, I mean, they they were, so (laughs) fair. (laughs) Ruth freely allows her son's young friends, including David, to her house, where she holds court and entertains them with salacious stories of things like the freak show and hoochie coochie, as well as giving them beer and cigarettes. She is that inappropriate adult in every small town that supplies teens with a place to hang because they're, like, lonely, stunted, and fucked up or some shit. Morgan, did you have one of those people in your hometown? Uh, yes. I did. Right? I, I don't want to discuss it, town. but yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, we're not going to discuss it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, broadly speaking, there's plenty of these people out there, and they're they're yeah, not she... all sadistic, but some of them do irresponsibly let their children drink. Yeah, she was also smoking a lot of crack, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> All right, so a series of small events, like not wanting to burn worms out of a tree or giving a painting to Ruth, are twisted by Ruth to make Meg seem like an easy girl who she's who thinks she's better than Ruth. Of course, Ruth is just a deranged, abusive piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Actually, a sweet girl who just wants to have friends and to not be afraid in her own home. Ruth begins to starve Meg, subjecting her to misogynistic lectures and accuses her of being a whore while her children and many neighborhood kids listen on. After an incident where Meg hits Ralphie uh, when he inappropriately touches her, Ruth pulls down Susan's pants and spanks her in retaliation for her being a conniver, forcing... Yeah, she's, like, fucking disabled and everything. It's so fucked up. Uh, forcing Meg to watch this whole thing. And, of course, Meg is crying and screaming. And then Ruth confiscates Meg's ring, which is, like, the last thing she has left from her mother. Uh, I gotta say, 
seen not as sadistic but similar to this actually happened to me as a kid so i was so yeah (laughs) what this shit what well let me explain let me just tell the story (laughs) (laughs) so i was at a neighbor's house down the street from my grandmother's home and i used to play with them all the time they had a cousin in town who was at their house And this cousin was maybe a year or two older than us. So I would have been about five or six. That's probably about six. So he's probably eight, I want to say. He kissed me without warning or consent. Wow. Uh, And then I recoiled in disgust. And he responded by slapping himself really hard on the face. He then left, I mean, he left a handprint. And then he runs off fake crying and tells his mother that I slapped him. (gasps) and she didn't believe me and i was banned from their house for like the rest of the time i knew them and i ran home what the fuck yeah and i ran home and told my mama and she believed me thankfully but this woman walked down the street to my grandma's house to report this injustice and try to get me in trouble by the way yeah by the way this kid's hand was way bigger than mine i mean my hand is still tiny (laughs) And it was obvious that I didn't hit him. Like, my hand did not fit the print. (laughs) You must have quit. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but yeah, isn't that that wild? It just, like, as, yeah, just, like, watching this movie, like, I had kind of forgotten about that story, but it Okay, one question I have. One question I have. Where is this kid now? Yeah, I've been thinking about that. I have no idea. And I... probably a fucking politician. I remember the little girls' names. <laughs> Fucking probably. Uh, I remember the, the little girls' names who I was friends with, but I don't remember their last name, and I don't remember... I definitely don't remember their cousin's name. So I don't even know how I would, like, track him down. Dude, fuck that kid. It's like that, uh, the youngest kid, Frankie, or whatever his fucking name is. Ralphie, who wanted to work. Yeah, that's like fucking Ralphie. Yeah, yeah. Like, it makes me think that this guy's a total psychopath. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no sure. way that kid turned out well. <laughs> anyway, so Meg reports the abuse to a local police officer named Officer Jennings, but law enforcement does not criminally charge Ruth. And she's like, did she think they were going to take me away? <laughs> <laughs> she's such, like... She's almost like a comic book villain at this point. Yeah, she really is. She's like the most hated character ever. Yeah, she's, yeah. Like uh, no redemption at all. Yeah, there's none. Nothing is redeeming about this woman. Um, As punishment, Ruth and her sons bind Meg in the basement and torture her, strip her, and then leave her there overnight hanging by her arms from the rafters. And you do see the kids, like, kind of talking to themselves, going, I, I bet that, you know, I bet that hurts. But you don't see any of them go down there and fucking untie her. Yeah, probably cause or they're, help. Probably because at this point, they're terrified of their insane mother. Yeah. And the ones who aren't her kids are definitely afraid of her. <laughs> and, I mean, especially David. Like, David definitely wants to do something, but he's, like, paralyzed with fear. Yeah. So, but, I mean, he does eventually do something. You know, he tries to help her escape later on. But anyway, so... There's a scene here around around this point in the film where she gets really 
really dehydrated because she's been down there a while. And Ruth has, like, made her this fresh buttered piece of toast. And is like, hey, you know, eat this. I made this just for you. She's like, uh, I'm dehydrated. I need water. (laughs) And I can't chew this. But I'll eat it later. She's, like, still trying to be a respectful good girl to this woman, which is just, like, heartbreaking. And she breaks the cup. She actually did have a cup of tea, but she breaks the cup of tea. And then Ruth tries to fucking force feed her this toast and shove it down her throat. So that's great. Yeah, and like so- Ruth like knocks the tea out of her hand and then she's like, you fucking broke it, you bitch. Yeah, yeah it wasn't even like, Meg. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even her. <laughs> but even if she was, she's weak. If her hands are shaking, you couldn't blame her. Right. Yeah. Mm. With Ruth's approval, the neighborhood children visit the Chandler residence to tie, beat, burn and cut Meg for fun. Ruth proceeds to cauterize her wounds with cigarettes. David tries to tell his parents about this like in the middle of the night but he kind of can't. He just like can't get it out. And um, Officer Jennings checks in uh, once more answering a call about Meg being used as a punching bag. Yeah. Before answering the door Ruth threatens to kill Meg and David if they make any noise in the basement. So while Ruth and her sons are upstairs convincing Officer Jennings that they were simply roughhousing David loses Meg's uh, bindings and tells her to escape in the middle of the night and that he'd offer her some he'd like leave her some money in the woods unfortunately she is intercepted and doesn't make it david returns to the chandler house and is guided to the basement where meg is being raped by willie so this is the incest i'm talking about he is raping his cousin so at the beginning of the movie they're like oh but it's just second cousin like in the very beginning do you remember that the kids like yeah well it's not your first it's your second so it's okay oh that that makes it so much better (laughs) yeah he even said something like my mom says it's not that bad and that would be what's her face yeah what yeah what the fuck well yeah you can't listen to a thing that comes out of ruth's mouth because she's unhinged yeah, it's uh, Yeah, anyway. So, Donnie also wants to rape Meg, but Ruth dismisses his uh, attempt because she thinks it is incest for him to skinny dip in his brother's scum, quote unquote. Ugh. Yeah. Ralphie then suggests to Ruth that she should cut Meg so that sh- everyone will know that she's a whore. So Ruth agrees and carves the word I fuck, fuck me, on Meg's abdomen with a heated bobby pin. That's not like even, first of all, never mind all the heinousness because it's obviously heinous, but like that's not even like, I don't know, you couldn't have written something else that just doesn't even fit. I was thinking too, I was like a bobby pin, like you can do a heated nail or like, I don't know, I just thought it was kind of thrown in there last minute, like, oh yeah, let's do a bobby pin. The bobby pin week but the literal message is too i fuck yeah yeah me right (laughs) (laughs) just it's yeah all right so after that she begins to taunt meg gloating about how she will never be with a man and serious serious uh content warning ruth then decides to perform a clitorectomy uh. to remove meg's sexual desire uh-huh. so you know this is just a big old bummer mm. David attempts to leave and to get help but is chased by the boys who stop him on the stairs and tie him up 
And they kick him in his balls before turning their attention back to Meg. And they leave him on the floor facing Meg so that he's forced to watch Ruth burn Meg's clitoris with a blowtorch. As you can imagine, this is easily the most fucked up scene in the movie. And like I said, the real case doesn't quite get that gruesome. But uh, let's just move on from that very quickly. <clears throat> so later in the day, David awakens still on the basement floor. He frees himself from his bindings and finds Susan sitting with a now unconscious Meg. Susan tells David that Meg failed to escape because she was trying to take Susan with her. Susan begins to blame herself for telling Meg about the fact that Ruth has been molesting her the whole time, which we don't know about until just now. And she tries to save her little sister, and that's why they didn't escape. So David plans their escape and lights a fire in the basement with some, like, um, insulation. The boys run down there, and when Ruth comes down, he hits her over the head with a crutch one of Susan's crutches, and beats her to death. Okay, look, admittedly in this scene, he does not hit her nearly hard enough or many times enough to murder her. Yeah. But that's besides the point. She's dead like, wait, she's dead? <laughs> right? She's dead according to the cop who didn't feel a pulse. Although <laughs> He's like, look, man, she's dead. Yeah, although if you look <laughs> yeah. really closely when they, like, are flipping back and they, like, pause on her body for a second, you can see her eyelashes flutter. Yeah, it's stupid because, like, the cop's like, let's get the kids out here, but they don't even go check the injured girl in the corner. I know. Right? <laughs> I was like, take just her take, out of there. Just take the criminals away. Leave the dying girl to die. Yeah, they, yeah, they were like, okay. they were like, okay, I'll be right back, Davey. You just sit with her. <laughs> don't She's get her a glass breathing. of water or an <laughs> IV. Is there an ambulance? Blood and yeah. covered in feces and just stay with her. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Thanks, cop. So Davy goes over and retrieves her necklace for her off of Ruth's dead body and gives it back to her. It was kind of her dying wish to have that. And with literally her last breath, she thanks him for all he's done for her and tells him that she loves him before finally succumbing to her injuries. Now we're back in 2007, and adult David reflects on how his past still haunts him to the present day. However, as Meg taught him, it's what you do last that counts, or something. <laughs> yeah, and then he's like, oh, there's a rotten soccer ball. I mean, not a soccer ball. I think it was a tennis ball floating. Ooh. He's like, mm, and he squeezes it, and that was, like, the end. <laughs> the end was so stupid. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, to be fair, I want to say that the end of uh, American Crime is also kind of weird because it has this extended sequence where Elliot Page's character, who plays uh, the Sil Sylvia Likens, escapes and is like free and happy. And then you realize it's all been a dream, which if you know the Sylvia Likens case, you know that it's just a dream or a delusion. Yeah. But, but if you have no idea... It's just a cruel thing to do to the audience. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got some fun facts that will take us away from the awful stuff we just talked about. <laughs> uh, the writer of the book that the film is based on, Jack Ketchum, plays the carnival ticket taker in the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
in the backyard tent scene where all the boys are looking at a Playboy magazine, they refer to 1950s actress and pinup model Carol Baker, who is actually the actress who plays Ruth Blanche Baker's mother in real life. Um, what? Wow. Okay. The actress who plays Ruth in the movie, that yeah. pinup model that they're looking at in the Playboy magazine is her mother in, in real life. Oh my God. Interesting. Yeah. What if they're like, you know, they had the prop laying around. She's like, that's my mom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they did that on purpose as a nod to her. I don't know how I'd feel about that. It's kind of weird. <laughs> like, why do you want to show my mom's tits in this movie? I don't know. It's kind of weird. But I mean, her mom was also in Playboy magazine willingly yeah, so I guess it's willingly <laughs> yeah it was she, I mean she's literally like was like a pinup model that soldiers and prisoners would like have in their bunk <laughs> she knew what she was doing all right <clears throat> Blythe offered said of the torture scenes quote it's extremely humiliating and it's a little bit scary being so without control it's scary being helpless and it's humiliating hanging and dangling there and it's even more terrifying to have your senses taken away from you i was actually blindfolded there and couldn't see and so you are relying on your ability to hear but also to trust those around you in the ways in which they deal with you that wasn't acting that was pure torture no pun intended quote wow so she uh, didn't have a great time making this movie <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> especially well essentially those scenes were the worst but the, on whole the experience was not great which i guess it would be a real downer to do a movie like this where you're just surrounded by this content for days and days on end you know right <clears throat> so when david is sitting next to meg on the bed while the police officer is questioning him he has blood dripping down the left corner of his mouth from being beaten. But when they show a close-up, the blood is gone. And when the camera switches back to the side view, the blood's back again. <laughs> so they just forgot to put the makeup there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the scene at the park where Meg is, taking, is talking to Officer Jennings uh, on his police car, it cl it's clearly labeled Highway Patrol. Uh, but, uh, oh, Highway yeah, Patro when it pulls up. Yeah, but Highway Patrolmen uh, don't handle cases like this. Not at all. Yeah, he would have passed this off to someone else, obviously. Um, but, yeah, oversight. <laughs> Uh, the American flag hanging on David's porch is the 50-star version that is currently in use. However, there were only 48 states at the time the, this movie takes place. Oh, dang. Um, wow. And that stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, some of the children use terms such as dork or doofus, which weren't in common use until the 70s. And really? Yeah. Dork is another name for a whale's penis. Well, it wasn't oh. used derogatorily <laughs> towards people commonly until the 70s. Wow. Uh, when David goes to talk to his father at work, several liquor bottles can be seen with the UPC code facing out. The first UPC code didn't appear on a product until 1974 on a package of Wrigley's chewing gum sold in Marsh's supermarket in Troy, Ohio. Mm, that's I thought, so random. I thought that was a fun fact. <laughs> 
There were a lot of anachronisms in this movie. They weren't like super careful with the details. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I like something. I like to point those out. Also, I, I love that uh I like I went far to dig into this because when I found that fact out that the UPC codes weren't invented yet, I was like, well now I have to see exactly when they were invented, what the package what product it was and where it was sold. <laughs> well I'm did you nerd. did you catch one it was like a one clip of a guy. Mm-hmm. Are you gonna get to that? What are you talking about? So the homeless guy? What about him? That gets hit by a car. What about him? That it's Mark Margulis. I mean, I wasn't really gonna mention it, to be uh, honest. He's your, you said it was your favorite movie, Requiem for a Dream. No, okay. I mean, he's not a huge character in that movie. He's not, but I thought it was cool that, I mean, I recognized him. I was like, hey, I know that guy, because he's in def- Scarface. Well, I definitely recognized him because he's a character actor that's been in a lot of things, but I mean, he gets hit by a car at the very beginning of the movie and has no lines. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's in your favorite movie. He is. He is in my favorite movie. <laughs> it's a really good book, too, by the way. And he's in Pi. I own that movie, too. It's sitting on my bookshelf next to Rec Room for a Dream. God, I forgot about Pi. He is Pi- He is the main character in Pi's Landlord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I showed Mark Pi because Mark loves math, and it's a bit of a fever dream. Yeah, and it he is. Just, he didn't love that it was in black and white, either. You didn't let him watch Cube after that? <laughs> Oh, what you don't know is on a night where not just me, but both of us had insomnia, we sat there and watched Cube 1, 2, and 3. <laughs> you should have finished it with Pi, because that's another math reference. Well, yeah, cube, but cube is, cube is really just like a puzzle uh, slasher almost. Yeah. Cube there's is a lot of math fun. in there. Uh, there is. That, there's um, Leavenworth, or yeah. Levin. Levin, because Le- Worth was a different character. All the characters in Cube are named after... After prisons. Yeah. If you didn't notice. Uh, yeah, like San Quentin. I remember well, Quentin being in it. Yeah. San Quentin. Yeah. Like they all, all their names are either pieces or a full part of the name of a prison. That was done on purpose because they're stuck there. Fun fact, that's not at all about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's all I got. My voice is shot. We're going to take a break. And then Morgan's going to tell us about the tragic heartbreaking story of Sylvia Likens. Yay. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> We're sorry. Yeah, grab a drink before you come back. Definitely. If you're or, in a le- if you're in a legal state, back. yeah, or that. If you're in a legal state and you're of age, bong it up, bitches. Bong it up. Do <laughs> <laughs> some heavy chant. Mm, yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. Get ready to be disgusted and sad. 
and angry all at once. Morgan, tell us about the Sylvia Likens murder. Oh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Me too. Me too. That it's just a pain. It's just so painful. Sorry. Like I was saying when we were talking without recording, like tr- crimes on children just, you know, just make me hurt internally. And this was really one of the worst crimes in Indiana's history. Yeah, and there's still people, like, to this day, I mean, this happened back in the 60s, but, like, it still is affecting people to this day. Not many of the people are still alive, and the ones that are alive are pretty much in hiding, but it really affected this town, as well as, you know, the sister who did live. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, yeah, like, in the movie, she got caught or whatever and went away, or Ruth died, but that's Sadly, not how the story ends. <laughs> yeah, like Ruth in the movie was pretty much playing off of Gertrude Benisuski. Yes. Am I saying that right? I believe Benizuski. so. I think so. Yeah, so this was Ruth, Gertrude Benisuski, which was not even a relative of the girls. She was a family a friend. Yeah, she was like a neighbor, right? Yeah. Yeah, oh. they're like a family friend slash neighbor because they were in like a traveling circus group pretty much yeah, like the family were, was her parents were carnies yeah they were carnies yeah. <laughs> um but she actually went by mess right uh she was born in 1929 and she lived a fucking full life unfortunately um she died in 1990 didn't she die in prison though no she, oh no yeah i yeah. forgot that she got out yes she was a piece of shit in indiana let this woman get out i think she should have died in prison she should um, have a horrible death they should have oh, yeah. killed her yeah like, i don't often advocate for the death penalty but uh, right right <laughs> yeah i can't say that i advocate for the death penalty but a gang riot that would beat her to death that would have been a nice a nice stab with a rusty shiv yeah a nice riot if you will Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah so gertrude banaszewski she grew up in like indiana i think there's not really much known about her but in like crime stories and on uh, Murderpedia, which is where I got a lot of my information um, and some news articles. It said that she was like really close to her dad, was not very close with her mom. She watched her father die of a sudden, a sudden heart attack when she was 11. And then after that, she dropped out of school at the age of 16 and she married John Banasuski, which is where her maiden i mean uh her married name came from she didn't really go by banasuski she goes by a later husband or later baby daddy and that was dennis wright so when she married banasuski she was very young he she was 16 he was 18 and they had four kids together the first time they were together and then he apparently had beat her and he beat the kids and then they stayed together for 10 years she was granted custody he left she ended up marrying another man and they divorced within three months 
And then she got back together with her first baby daddy, John Banasuski. They reconciled and remarried. And then they had two more kids together. And then they divorced. After that, she was around 36. And uh, she was in an affair with a man named Dennis Lee Wright. Apparently, he too abused her. Wait, another guy with the last name, right? No, that was the last baby daddy that she claimed the name oh okay, okay. so she married Banasuski. right divorced him right. married guthrie divorced oh. him after three months got and it. then she had an affair she never even married this guy okay she only had one kid by him so at this point she has seven kids and way more than they could afford to hire actors for on that movie right (laughs) yeah yeah fucking seven kids um and right apparently abused her and then when she became pregnant he just left he like abandoned her he was supporting them financially and then he's like i'm going to get some cigarettes from the store Never came back. Never came back. So at this time, she has seven kids. It's very small town, Indiana. She decides to take on Wright's last name, even though they never married. And it was pretty much like, I guess, so the town wouldn't turn on her and call her floozy or something. I don't know. I think she kind of ruined her reputation anyway for being a complete and utter bitch. (laughs) Like (laughs) She has serious resting bitch face. Yes. And she had serious issues, like, deeply rooted. Wow. Um, Probably from the years of abuse by different men. Or, you know, something's knocked loose up there. But she, she ended up making ends meet and supporting the kids by doing people's laundry um she would nanny and babysit she would just do like odd jobs around the town and then around when she was 38 i believe her oldest daughter paula she became pregnant with someone's child some people say that he was a married man like middle-aged married men. I don't know. I can't really back that up. But she was pregnant at 17. And then around this time, there was like a physical break in Banasuski. She That's when she began calling herself Mrs. Wright and that she had married him. And she was like an upstanding woman. She would go to church every Sunday, which is fucking surprising. Like, I mean, I guess it's not surprising, honestly. <laughs> Well, she did have a lot of weird patriarchal ideas, for sure. Yeah, and she was, like, really public around the... T- like, she she wasn't this, like, old witch that lived alone in this house with all these kids. Like, she would try to get her kids cleaned up and take them out, like... Publicly. She was a witch about town. Yeah. <laughs> like... That's what the crazy thing about this is. Like, in the movie, they portray her like she never leaves the house. I mean, the house was a wreck, but she would go out to public functions and bring her children there and, like, present herself nicely, even though she looked like a fucking hag. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
she she claimed later she was on a lot of antidepressants and was an alcoholic. Uh, antidepressants uh, don't make you torture. Yeah, it, yeah, exactly. And I think there was a lot more of what was going on with her mm-hmm. for her to do this to a child and to make other children do this to another child. Yeah. Um, yeah. So around July of 1965, her daughter, the pregnant Paula, she met with some girls that had come into town. It was Sylvia Marie Likens, and she was 16. And then Sylvia's younger sister, Jenny, who had polio. Well, she had polio when she was a child and she had to use the braces. Uh, She was only a year younger than Sylvia at this time. But Sylvia was very outgoing and went by the name of Cookie. But her little sister, Jenny, was really shy, really reserved. And she had to walk on the crutches due to polio. So and they came from, I don't know where exactly they hailed from. They were traveling a lot. So Sylvia and Jenny were in town staying with someone because her mom was taken to jail for pickpocketing or something. Maybe she stole something. She was in jail for like stealing something. So the girls were staying with a neighbor in town. And that's when... Sylvia and Jenny's dad found them because apparently they had had a fight or something. This was in the court case, but the family had a fight and the mom took the girls to this town in Indiana. Meanwhile, the dad didn't know where they went. And then he found out that his wife was in jail. And so he got her out of jail. And then Gertrude came in and said, well, maybe the girls could stay with us and you can just pay us. Like, you can pay me some money to keep the girls while you go join back up with the carnival. So the family ended up meeting up with Gertrude and the other kids to see if it worked. And they said, yeah, well, we trust this lady. She's a friend of a friend. So we'll give her $20 a week. So before they left, apparently, like according to court documents, they did never go inside. They never went inside the house. They just had a barbecue in the backyard. So if they would have gone inside the house, they probably would have realized that Gertrude was a fucking wreck and a monster of a mother. And she only kept like flour and crackers and bread in the house and beer. Like, (laughs) it's a lot of carbs. I was going to say, heaven forbid one of her kids have like celiac disease or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That would fucking suck. Yeah. Straight (laughs) carbs in the house. Yeah. I mean, she was poor. She had seven kids and she was only doing laundry and like babysitting every now and then. Mm. Like, that's fucking tough. And the kids range in age from an infant all the way up to 17, I think was her oldest. So she had a house full. Like, she had a kid, like, every fucking year. Well, this is gonna sound (laughs) fucked up, but it would have been way more responsible of her if she just, like, gave them to the state. I... Um, I I will agree with that or or gave them to family or something but yeah. no yeah so with Sylvia and Jenny living at the Bansuski home or I don't know if I should call her Bansuski or Mrs. Wright because she went by Mrs. Wrights. I'll call her Mrs. Wright. What is? We don't care what she wanted to be called. Call I'll fucking Gertrude. call her Gertie. Fucking Gertie. Gertie. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so when Sylvia and Jenny moved in with Gertie and seven of her kids, it ended up going, like, pretty well. The first week, they went to social functions, they went to a carnival, they also attended church with Gertie. But then after a week, the payment didn't arrive, and that's when Gertie, like, lost her shit. And it was quoted of her saying, I took care of you two bitches for nothing. And then she pulled down their underwear, made them lay across a bed, and then beat them with a paddle. And then, like, the next week or week after that, she, Jenny and Sylvia, were going through the neighborhood and they were collecting, like, bottles to sell. And then when they had the money and candy, she said, well, where did you get that money from? And she pretty much said, well, you're a whore if you ended up with that money and that candy. And then they made them bend over and she beat both of them again. And then after this, the kids, Gertie's kids, said that Sylvia had eaten a whole bunch of hot dogs and made herself sick. And so then she ended up forcing her to eat hot dogs and made her vomit and then made her eat it. No. Uh, Oh, my God. And this was all in front of the kids and her sister. So she, like, made it, like, so disgusting and made her eat it. And then when she threw up, she was like... Now eat it again, bitch. So, oh, just to clarify, in case you guys were wondering, the $20 a week, was it a week or a month? It was a week. The $20 a week in today's money would have been $165.58. Wow. It's pretty good for childcare, I will say. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> now it's like fucking $500 or something crazy. I don't know. I have a lot of married kids. Uh, not married kids. Married friends. How kids. old are you, Morgan? <laughs> Very good. My kids are married. Uh, no, they're like telling me about their fucking child care. I'm like, Jesus Christ, that's like a mortgage. It's fucking rent. Mm-hmm. Reason number 375 why I don't have children. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the cats. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cat bum for life. <laughs> so, this was like the first few weeks that this started to happen. And at this point, Sylvia and Jenny's parents had visited a few times already, and neither of them said anything at this point. It hadn't really, I mean, the beatings had increased, but like the whole vomit thing, I, I feel like she should have said. I, I'm not blaming the victim at all, but she never told her parents about that story. Most of the information that we got is from Gertie's youngest daughter. She was the one who came out, uh, Marie. She ended up coming out with a lot of this information because all the kids stayed quiet and their lawyers were really good. So a lot of this information is coming from Marie herself. But apparently they didn't say anything, neither Sylvia or her sister. And then after this, it started escalating pretty quickly. Like, I mean, they came to stay with her in July and by October of that year, she was dead. So it escalated really fucking wow. quick. Yeah. 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 So so at this point, it was around August. And I don't know if this is like really true or not. This is from Gertie's testimony. She said that she became like enraged when Sylvia said she had let a boy touch her breast. And she ended up calling her a prostitute, said she was a slut and a whore. And then she told the rest of the house, which were all children that Sylvia was a prostitute 
prostitute and she was pregnant because she had let a boy touch her vagina. Um, she also then attacked Sylvia. She kicked her in the vagina several times. And then whenever Sylvia tried to sit down, she threw out of the chair and said, you, you ain't fit to sit in chairs. And this is her murderpedia. Um, so after that, it was Sylvia sitting on the floor, um, only asking permission for to do stuff, to sit or to play a game or to go to the bathroom. And she was like all in power at the time. Like Sylvia was just a, a living being in her household that all the other kids could just beat. So at this point, Birdie was just telling the kids to beat her up pretty much. They'd be like, oh yeah, I want to hurt Sylvia. And she'd be like, go ahead. So she would let it happen and watch it all happen or she would start it. Um, So they would throw her down the stairs. They would make her climb up the stairs. And then when she get to the top, they just kick her down again and they would kick her. Gertie would call her a prostitute. And then she would just, like you said, she'd have these like tirades of like anti-woman kind of thing saying she's a prostitute and just go into rage and beat the shit out of her for like nothing. Just her standing there, she would like get enraged and beat her up and then tell the kids to get on it. And she even like made Sylvia's sister um, beat her up too. And it's just really fucked up because like Birdie or Gertie, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I think I called her Birdie. Gertie? Gertrude. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so around this point, like she would tell Sylvia, like I heard what you're talking about this person and I'm going to tell them what you said. Meanwhile, Sylvia hadn't even said anything. So Gertie would tell the neighborhood kids that Sylvia was calling them a pro- their mother's a prostitute or saying that their sister was a slut or something. So they all started like ganging up on Sylvia because Gertie is like instigating it from behind the scene. Mm. Um, yeah, there was one case of a 13 year old and it was Sylvia's like best friend, one of the girls that she's playing with when they first met. Um, Gertie had told Anna that Sylvia had been telling her that her mom was a prostitute and it literally led to a fist fight. And then whenever her sister wouldn't get involved, Gertie punched Jenny in the face until she would uh, punch her sister in the face. It's like Lord of the fucking flies. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like at this point in, in August, she's walking around with massive black eyes. She's emaciated at this point. There's people over at barbecues with the family and they're like, oh, why does she have a black eye? And Paula's like, because I beat the shit out of her. And what? no one says anything. And Yeah. Like, yeah, there's the case of uh, the Vermilions who were on trial. They were some of the witnesses. Um, Phyllis and Raymond Vermillion they had asked Gertie to watch her children and so whenever they were gonna meet up they had like a backyard barbecue and um, the families could like get to know each other and like introduce the kids all together and then whenever they start wondering like why is this girl wandering around the backyard with like a black eye and swollen face Paula the pregnant one is like yeah I did it and then she beats the shit out of her in front of the family oh my god they like one time she took a belt and hit her in the face and then another time she poured steaming water into Sylvia's face like it was just it was public and no one fucking did anything no one did anything it kind of reminds me of like an even worse Kitty Genovese 
situation. Yeah, or like, what is that? Um, oh my god, I'm blanking out. But it's the the tr- the studies in that university where they're like told to shock people. The Stanford it, prison yeah. experiment. Yeah, it's sort of like that because she was like, you know, she's the leader, she's the mother of seven right. kids, and all these neighborhood kids are coming over there, and well, she's like, telling them to do this. I feel like the kids and her and that like manic state in the basement was almost like a group psychosis led by her almost like a cult leader yeah yeah they pretty much she pretty much brainwashed and indoctrinated the children around the neighborhood including her own kids to believe that sylvia was just like the scum of the earth and needed to be tortured yeah exactly and it's just so fucked up because I mean the oldest kid involved in this was 17 and that was her daughter like the kids ages range from like you know five years old yeah to 17 and I mean two of the ones who were charged but eventually let go were 12 and 13 and they were facing the death penalty then wow yeah so she would like get the neighborhood kids over and she was like the kind of neighborhood cool mom she would be like yeah you can stay over like it's it's a ton of fucking kids and they can do whatever the fuck they want and so, we use the term cool mom loosely yeah I, sh- <laughs> I, I shouldn't say cool mom fucking Gertie but Gertie. <laughs> all these kids were over at her house all the time because she'd be babysitting too so whenever she would say something negative about Sylvia the kids would just like gang up on her and believe everything she said they would beat her they ended up calling her a slut and a thief and then Gertie started burning her fingers with lit cigarettes. Um, Did you know that hurt? Yeah, she burnt all of her fingertips to cure her of her sticky fingers. And so then after that, everybody would just put out cigarettes all over her body. And Gertie said it was a reminder so she wouldn't have to steal anymore. Mm. <sighs> so then Lycans went out again to sell the glass Coca-Cola bottles that she had found around town and tried to get money and then of course Gertie accused her of prostitution again and this is where the sexual abuse starts Mm -hmm. Uh, so bad Mm -hmm. so she calls her prostitute says where did you get all this money you couldn't do this without sleeping with married men so she made her strip naked in front of her sons and a whole bunch of neighborhood kids by saying she would beat Jenny to death if she didn't so Sylvia was then given one of the glass bottles that she had collected and forced her to masturbate in front of a room full of people. Oh my god. With a Coke bottle. And according to Murderpedia after this, she became incontinent. She, Gertie said she was an animal and could only sleep on the floor. So at this point, she locked her in the basement. This is when all of her, like, freedom and everything is taken away. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was before, but she was allowed outside before the whole Coke bottle incident. After that, since she was was unable to hold her bladder anymore then she was like well you're filthy scum you need a you're a dirty girl and you can live in the basement so Gertie started bathing her in a bathtub full of boiling water Mm. and she would tie her to the other ends of the tub by her hands and ankles and then dunk her into it pour the boiling water on her and then rub her down with salt oh Mm. she had the severe burns every time she'd go to the bath. Yeah, she had scalded marks all over her body when they found her. Yeah, she had over like a 
170-something separate wounds. Yeah. It was over 150 or 170. I can't remember. I think it was like um, 177 or something like that. Yeah. So fucked up. And then after this, Gertie's kids kind of told the neighborhood kids, hey, you can do this to Sylvia if you pay us. So she was in the basement, but they would like push her down the stairs. They would punch her in the face or throw her against the wall or beat her. And several of the kids on the stand said, yeah, like we did this pretty much like, yeah, that's what we did. That was our summer. We would go over to Gertie's basement and then just beat the shit out of her. Her 12 year old son, Gertie's 12 year old son at this time, he would make her eat the diaper of his younger brother. Oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Um, and if because since she didn't have a bathroom down there she would defecate and urinate and they would make her eat it they would make her eat her feces and then make her urinate in a jar that she would uh. drink <laughs> and these kids were getting money off of like saying hey you can pay a nickel and watch her eat her own poop oh my god yeah and if she was fed are y'all there yeah yeah I'm sorry it cut out. We're um, um, stunned into shock, Morgan. Right. <laughs> and around this time she was being greatly abused. She was being burned by cigarettes. She was being cut. She was being beat, thrown down the stairs, hit over the head. And meanwhile, all the neighborhood kids were over there. And some kids had spoken to their parents and said, I saw Sylvia getting punched and kicked over at Bert- Gertie's house. And the mom would be like, well, that's what happens if you act bad. So a lot of the kids stayed quiet because they felt like, well, this is how it is. Like in the movie, he like, he asked his dad, like, what do you, how you feel about hitting women? It's pretty much the same conversation with these children and their parents. And they're like, well, if you're being a bad kid, then that's what you get. You get beat. But I don't think they were really understanding how much the beatings were taking place. Like, oh, Um, you don't understand, mom. She's being systematically tortured. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And at this point, the kids are all out for the summer they're not in school so no one's questioning you know why is she not out yeah 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 and like everybody was saying that she was a slut like she was a prostitute because that's what Gertie made like everybody believe Gertie even told her preacher that Sylvia was a prostitute she was pregnant and that like she was just this huge load on her life and she didn't know how she could handle it and like meanwhile her fucking pregnant daughter her her daughter's pregnant this whole time Mm -hmm. and like she never acknowledges she says her daughter's like perfect but Sylvia's just this beast and she doesn't know how to handle her. And meanwhile around this time, Jenny, the sister, had managed to send a letter to her older sister, Diana, who was much older. She was living away from them. She asked her sister to contact the police and come rescue both of them. But the older sister, thinking it was just Jenny being dramatic like a 14-year-old, so she didn't listen to it. But then when she came over to visit... Uh, Gertie would not let them visit her sisters and they she said that her dad told them not to be contacted by the sister so she says I'm sorry their dad said you're not allowed to make contact so you need to leave or I'm gonna call the cops and have you arrested so Diana ended up feeling like kind of weird and she hid nearby and tried to 
contact Jenny afterwards and Jenny said I can't talk to you or I'm gonna get beat and like ran away but Diana didn't end there luckily I mean not luckily it didn't really make a fucking difference it didn't um it sadly didn't and Diana called social services which America does not have a good track record with social Mm -hmm. services or social workers Mm -mm. so I think all of this would have fucking ended if social workers had have done a home check 100% they didn't I know so Gertie told them that the girls had ran away and that they weren't there Mm. so they're like oh okay seems legit yes so they fucking left and then they never went back and meanwhile like Diana's like I can't fucking get in touch with my sisters I know they're there they haven't run away and nothing else ever comes of it but then I will say this American social workers are sorely uh, overworked and underfunded yeah Yeah. for sure I will say that always they're grossly underfunded yes Um, shout out to all you social workers out there that do do your due diligence sorry that's a lot of do's yeah Um, do do your due diligence (laughs) (laughs) so around October 20th ish the boys or the children had a allegedly stole some things from a neighbor's basement and they had called the police to come get the get the stuff back from them that's when Gertie heard that the police were coming and she was like okay well we need to bring her up from the basement and put her in the bed and tie her up so on the 20th they it was like three kids I believe brought her up the stairs because she couldn't walk they carried her up they tied her to the bed and then that night she had urinated and defecated in the bed and that's when she was then forced again with a Coca-Cola bottle and I think at this point it was someone else did that. After this they stripped her naked, they tied her down and that's when they started using the needles to to, to burn letters into her chest. Sorry it's like bad, oh my god it's so bad. So they have her tied and gagged at this point they're heating sewing needles with matches and then carving the words into her body and they ended up carving I'm a prostitute and proud of it across her abdomen. That must have taken a long time. It's a lot of letters. Yeah it is a lot of letters and there were several people who joined in on this and a lot of the kids spoke out and it was a few neighbor kids and all of her children pretty much did it. They also tried to carve something else and accidentally carved a three. It was supposed to be an S for Sylvia, but one of the kids did the other part of the S backwards. And that's how, yeah, that's how young they are to just write an S backward on the chest. And one of them was 11 that did this. So at this point, she is still on the ground, bound and gagged, and Gertie makes Sylvia write a letter to her parents. And the letter was just such bullshit saying that she had been a bad girl and that she had been beaten up by a gang of guys and that's why she was so beaten up because she was a prostitute and they had her way they had their way with her and that they should give Gertie more money because she made her mad. That's pretty much the gist of the letter. And she never signed it and she never addressed mo- mom and dad. And at this point like the mom and dad hadn't been back. Like they saw her the first couple weeks and then did come back. I don't know why the sister or anything like did follow up yeah. um it's it's just 
so many cases that so many people had the chance to speak up and they fucking didn't. Some of the kids even talked about how she would like, they would throw food on the ground and make her eat it. They would kick her in the vagina repeatedly. They would kick her in the back. And I mean, Sylvia was like really emaciated at this point because she hadn't really eaten anything other than crackers and toast since July. She was like a skeleton when they found her, which is really sad. So she couldn't even eat at this point when they did try to offer her food. Um, One of the daughters broke her wrist by punching her. Like she punched her so hard, she broke her own wrist. So whenever it was like October 24th, I think she realized that she was dying and was like, we need to like kill her. So Gertie tried to beat her to death with a chair and then she tried to beat her head in with a paddle, like a wooden paddle she had been beating her with. And she was unable to kill her. So her, so Gertie's, they report that he may have been a boyfriend, but he was only 16. It was a neighbor, Hubbard. He was actually on trial for the murder. Uh, but he came and stepped, stepped in front of them. And then he beat Sylvia until she passed out. And he beat her with a broomstick. And then over that night, multiple beat her, no, multiple beat people beat her. And then on the night of October 25th, I guess Sylvia got enough strength to make loud noises with an iron shovel. And a lot of people said during the trial that they had heard the noises, but just didn't call police. They didn't know what it was. They had heard it. So after this, on October 26th, Gertie told Stephanie and Ricky to give her a bath. And whenever they took her out of the bath, they realized she wasn't breathing. This is on Murderpedia. Stephanie tried to attempt CPR but she was dead and then they took her down to the basement and then they called the police and whenever the police came over all the kids including Gertie had said oh look at this note pretty much like this is what happened she wrote this so she was a prostitute and she got beat up by a bunch of guys but they noticed all of the wounds they noticed she was very skinny and emaciated we're like this was not like a one time thing she was covered in cigarette burns she had the carvings on her that had already mostly healed. She had second and third degree burns. She had muscle damage, muscle breakdown. She had holes in her lips from biting them. Um, Like her teeth went through her lips. Her eyes were so bruised that they were swollen shut. She also had severe nerve damage and severe genital damage. So they immediately took Gertie and every single kid there into custody. Yeah, there were there were four neighbors there and all the children were there. I don't think they took the baby. <laughs> that would be weird. It was five kids. Five of her kids, four neighbors, and Gertie herself went to jail. And luckily, like, whenever the police were over there and, like, looking at her, uh, her sister said, please get me out of here and I'll tell you everything. And her story was, like, what broke the case, but Marie whenever she was during cross-examination she like broke down and said she'd tell the whole truth those two really broke the case because unfortunately Gertie and her five kids who were put on the stand all had different lawyers and including all of the neighbors kids so all of them were like hitting against each other and it was just such bullshit like of a trial it, it was a madhouse like half the stuff doesn't even make sense because they're just trying to pin the blame on 
on each other. So a lot of their stories don't intertwine or don't don't line up. So right. really, it was Marie's testimony that really sent Gertie to jail. So John, the oldest of the son, Hubbard, who was a neighbor, and Hobbs, who was another neighbor, they were convicted of voluntary manslaughter, um, but they were only sentenced to 18 months, and only one of them, I think, served the full 18. And by the time Hobbs was released, apparently he smoked a lot and drank a lot, and he died of lung cancer when he was 21. Oh. Fuck. Yeah, so he was like 14 to 21. Yeah. So he died of lung cancer when he was 21. And who else? The daughter, she was convicted, but she got out very shortly. Her right daughter now. got out her daughter got out in 1972, I think. So her daughter got like less than 10 years yeah i had it like how old she was but yeah so her daughter had the baby and she was sentenced to jail for only like maybe 10 years i can't find the exact number but she ended up getting out of jail and then moving to a farm in iowa and she took on an alias and there's not no much known that's about her i don't know if she's live or oh she is (laughs) oh morgan what 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 is their new information? Uh, she got outed as the teacher in Iowa and was fired from her job because they found out what she did. Wow. Oh, yeah. I didn't write that down. I did read that. Good thing I remembered. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. I was just so depressed to even type any of this shit out, to be yeah, honest. It's, it's super depressing. I get yeah, it. I read so much and I was just like, oh my god. I just kept thinking about my niece. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, that's fair. Not really, but it could be her. Yeah, so, and then, I mean, fucking Gertie, she got to walk out of prison on December 4th, 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, she changed Wasn't her she name. in prison for, like, almost 20 years, though? Yeah, Not almost that 20 years. Makes up for it. Yeah, she was sentenced to life without parole, and then they changed it to yeah. 20 years to life, and then she got out, Um, which... There was a huge uproar, like, before she applied for parole, the news came through, and Jenny Likens, Sylvia's sister, her and her family were speaking out, including Protect the Innocent and Society's League Against Molestation. They went to Indiana and held protests and gained over 4,500 signatures, demanding that she kept behind bars, but then they let her out. And she... She claimed that it... Oh my god, I wish I had that quote. Sorry, I couldn't write down those last few bits. That's okay. So let me let me explain a little bit about what happened with Paula. So Paula got actually got life in prison, but only served about nine years. Yeah, because she and, ended up taking a plea deal. Well, the Indiana Supreme Court overturned the convictions on the grounds that the jurors had been prejudiced by the publicity, and then they were both retried. Yeah, that was in... 
1970-something, right? 71. 71, yeah. Yeah. And then Gertrude was convicted again uh, and then paroled. But what's-her-name was just, like, set free, basically, the second time Paula was. Yeah, it's... It, oh, God, it's so... It's so fucked up. Like, the whole case, people always say, why didn't that family... Like, why didn't their family get involved? Or why did their family not say anything? Because, um, I mean, she was with them from July to October and they had really only checked in like once or twice. It does seem a little odd how checked out they were even, I mean, I know they left her them in that woman's care but still their kids. Yeah. It's like being gone a whole summer was yeah. with someone. Like, I, yeah. I feel like you should at least talk to your children uh, weekly if not daily. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, even if you're in a traveling caravan show, like, they had pay phones back then. Yeah, I mean, I know it's expensive, but at least be like, I, I love you, you know? Something. Yeah, check in. They didn't, they didn't really check in. And the fact that the neighbors that wanted her to babysit their kids, they saw her several times actually being beat by the daughter, like the oldest daughter who was pregnant. See, yeah, what the fuck? The thing is, for me, it's like back then, though, like people stayed out of other people's business. Like it was known to do that and it was kind of like a like a rule amongst neighbors you know it's like don't get into it like just ignore it kind of thing so that's all I can give it you know like it's fine to be nosy but don't get involved exactly yeah like it's not not my monkeys not my circus kind of yep. thing yeah, yeah exactly so let's let's erase this from our minds and and just get into a better <laughs> headspace Maddie, tell our audience about your podcast and give us a little plug-a-plug. All right. Well, so my podcast is... I guess not really your average true crime podcast because I am part of the LGBTQ plus community and I um, kind of uh, conversate on the issues going in like into our community and um, I haven't put out an episode too recently but I plan because it is Pride Month so I plan to release one soon and there's just been a lot going on with you know things against like trans swimmers and things against our rights even you know not just here in Florida, but like everywhere across country. So there's just so much to cover, but that's usually what I start out with every episode. I'll do like the first 10, 15 minutes talking about what's in the news, giving people updated information, even if you, you know, not homophobic, but you know, it's important to learn about our community, whether you are for um, it or against it, you know, an ally or not. So, sure. and I think that kind of my goal here here is to uh, make people more informed because sometimes people lack that informity and that's why they have the views that they do. So like I just see it as, you know, being an advocate for my own community to bring forth like the issues that are really going on in the world for us, you know, so I yeah, absolutely. So I go over that, you know, kind of quickly, like even if you don't like it, just skip over it. That's like the first 10, 15 minutes. And then I just go on and 
into, you know, your average true crime case that, you know, either it's notorious or maybe it happened in my backyard. Like, you know, like not actually, but, you know, close to. Well, that's really cool. You have like a platform where you're talking about the like legislation and stuff that's going on, like news. Yeah, exactly. And I try to really simplify it, too, because obviously I'm not a lawyer or, a you know, a politician. So like even for me, I really can't understand what's going on in the news. So I try to simplify it in a way that everybody can understand, you know? So um, yeah, that's really what I do. And I think it kind of, there's not a lot out there. There's not a lot of people out there doing what I do really. So I just, in a podcast format for true crime. So I was like, yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. I was like, let me just hit two birds with one stone. So that's what I've been doing. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Um, You have, you have that, you know, moment to speak and you, you're speaking about something that you know, is close to your heart and gets them word out. Yeah. yeah. And I, I try not to be so political. I'm, I'm getting better in my episodes. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to be. <laughs> it, yeah, it really we try, is. we try to not talk about politics and stuff on the podcast so that we're very, I guess, neutral so that yeah. we are, you know, to a broader audience. And plus we have listeners across the globe and like over right. 50, di- in, in like over 50 different countries. Yeah. So, like, American issues are not that important to everyone, you know? Oh, so we yeah. Tr- so we try not to get too bogged down in that stuff. And I try to also, especially if we're talking about a different country, really touch on kind of what's happening there, too, in a sense. Yeah, but yeah, I, I, I like what you do with your podcast. Uh, I enjoyed being a guest, and, you know, as someone who's also part of the LGBTQI plus community, uh, it's cool that you are talking out for us. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I feel like I just really love having people on who are part of the community, even if they're not, you know, it's like, I feel like people who aren't and they come on, it's like good for other people to see like, oh, hey, you know, even though I'm not part of this community, but I am an ally or not, like, I can see that it, you know, diverse and, sure, you know, let people be open to it. So yeah, I really try to do that. And I also try to like have news from other countries and other religions, because, you know, it's not all about America like yeah we're pretty shitty sometimes but you know there's other issues in other countries as well and I try to bring light to that so yeah yeah we were talking about was it an Ethiopian model who murdered her husband on the episode that I was on (laughs) yes it was actually um it was a a trans woman who got murdered by her brother because it was like against the religion and it's really gruesome and awful oh I thought I thought it was a I thought it was a woman who murdered her husband oh yeah the whole case yeah okay okay (laughs) no i'm talking about the murder case not the gay news yes yeah that was about um yeah she uh murdered her husband and um ate him for uh thanksgiving dinner so what (laughs) yeah you should look into that morgan it was a wild case (laughs) yeah yeah it was wild fun but very wild Wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I had to roll back and think about what we were talking about <laughs> on that episode. Because at this point, I've recorded so many podcast episodes just for Hard versus Reality and then my other podcast. And then when you throw in guest spots in the mix, I'm like, what all have I talked about? Oh, <laughs> I don't blame you. I know. You're, you're a busy gal. I don't blame you. So I'm a busy gal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
All right, guys. Well, we've been this has been a pretty long episode, so I think we're gonna we're gonna boogie now. But we will be back for a really cool episode next week. The case isn't cool, but we're not doing a movie exactly next time. It's hard. You know what? We'll just explain when we get to it. But it's a special episode. I'm, I'm excited. It's a great. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. You're gonna oh, love it. I, I can't wait to listen. <laughs> yeah. I, off mic, I'll tell you what it actually is. Curious. <laughs> Insider knowledge. Yes. <laughs> All right, guys. Peace out. Bye. Bye. on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.